We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week on the Garage Beers Podcast, it is episode 102, and joining the guys in the garage is former Cleveland Browns cornerback, a man that went from undrafted free agent to one of the stars of the 2017 that went 10 and 6. It's Lee Bodden. We'll get into the current Browns, we'll get into our Garage Beers of the Week, our three cheers of the week, and so much more. So coming up the driveway, break out your favorite lawn chair, crack open a cold one, and join us. Garage Beers. Hey, welcome on in, everybody, to the Garage Beers Podcast, episode 102, as we are still early on in the hundreds, and uh, we've got a really, really good one for you here tonight. Thank you to everybody who's joining us here on the OBR Twitch stream. Uh, go follow the Garage Beers Podcast on all of our socials, at the Garage Beers on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh we're all over tiktok for some reason for middle-aged men i don't even know why we do that but we have fun with it uh with you as always i'm your host michael keith go follow me at garage beers mike and joining me down in nashville tennessee my co-host joey whalen at garage beers joe what's going on joe what's going on mike just enjoying a lovely tuesday it's uh you know lovely t-boy tuesday here in nashville tennessee um <laughs> I stoked that intro music was kind of vibey. I was kind of like losing myself over here, just kind of grooving for that that show in live. So, uh, uh, yeah, stoked to be here. Stoked to have Chad here. <laughs> it was it was we were cutting it close with Chad again. If you'll get to, you'll get to know us uh, on the OBR here more and more. Uh, we're a couple of dads, and Chad's got a little one that just was not wanting to go to sleep tonight. And you made it. You did it. So, again, let's bring Chad in. Chad Meyer at Garage Beers. Chad, what's going on, Chad? Boys, there has never been anything in my life that irritates me so much, yet I love so much other than kids. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> That's it. I, I mean, the Browns The Browns are a close second, but the kids, kids are right there. <laughs> well, congrats wow. on congrats on getting the kids down uh joe it's good to have us all it's good to have us all back and again we've got a really exciting show uh, uh in just a little bit here uh he's waiting in our little green room area uh if you can call it that we've got a former browns cornerback and a guy that we're really excited to talk to lee Bodden is going to come on so again if you're in the comments if you're watching this live get over into the comments if you've got some questions for lee Bodden, 
we'll throw those in. We've got a lot of stuff to talk to Lee about as well. Uh, but before we do that, and actually, I think while we do that, if I'm not mistaken, I think Lee is going to join us for our Ooh. our drinks of the week segment. So what? I'm going to bring in. I'm going to bring in again. You'll know him from the mid 2000s. The guy went from undrafted free agent from Duquesne University, not a football school. Duquesne University, one double A, undrafted, walks into Brown's training camp, makes a name for himself on special teams first. And then within the first couple of years, this dude is a playmaker, the best cornerback on the Browns uh, for a few years before, for some reason, they moved on. Uh, but we're going to bring him in right now, ladies and gentlemen. I'm welcome to the Garage Beers podcast. It's Lee Bodden. Welcome, Lee. I'm praying this is an alcoholic teabag king. I'm praying this is an alcoholic teabag king. <laughs> man, nah, man, it's mint. It's mint tea, man. Oof. All right. I'm done, <laughs> I'm done with the beers and alcohol, man. I, I kind of stopped that, man. All these football injuries, bro, like they, they killed me, man. It ran a toll on it itself. So I'm, I'm an old man. I'm drinking tea, man. So it's Teabag <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> there we go yes. but enjoy your beers man enjoy your beers well listen whether you come on and have a tea with us or a beer or man we've had people come on with tequilas and bourbons and whatever they want to have whatever kind of drink you're enjoying tonight that can be part of our garage beers of the week segment so lee Bodden coming in strong with the tea with the tea with peppermint and oh, it's, it's, it's good for the voice. We're going to ask you to yeah. talk a lot, so it's good for the voice. That's great. Yeah. And and listen, I could sing if you want me to. No, nah, I'm joking. No, please, please, <laughs> hey, we might. I can't at all. I can't sing at all. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say you don't want you didn't want to leave it at just I can sing if you want because we're definitely make you, but <laughs> that makes four of us, Lee. That makes four of us. Uh, so, Lee, we're going to get to talking about you, but we do the first thing we do. We send it around the horn and we talk about whatever kind of special drinks we're having tonight. And so we'll kick it off uh, over uh, down in Nashville, Tennessee. Joey, what is your Garage Beer of the Week? He's Joey, on you're mute. Muted. You're muted. He's on mute. I know I'm muted, but we're going to the bottom <laughs> shelf for this one. I got my Cowboy <laughs> Tuesdays. I know how to do this audio stuff, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Yep. Uh, anyways, we're just going PBR because it's easy. It's light. Wow. Uh, needed a nice refresher tonight. So <laughs> nice and easy for us tonight. Classic. Going with a classic with the PBR. Oh, and right, it's Joe. so good. Yeah. It's so nostalgic. Not probably in a good way, I think. <laughs> it just hits right. It just hits right sometimes. Yeah. It just hits right sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Every person I knew with a fake ID had to get me PBR in high school. <laughs> Yeah, living in Nashville, it's like a little taste of Broadway just in every sip, which is yeah, good go. and bad at the same time. Uh, Chad, over on the east side, what do you got for your garage beer of the week? Well, guys, I didn't have any time to uh, go down to the basement here because, you know, like I said, you know, my kid, my kid refused to go to sleep. Uh, so I went, so I went on the porch and uh, I grabbed. I'm transporting myself to the beach. We're going Corona light, and uh, yeah, it's like I feel like I'm on the beach. I mean, you know, Lee, you're a world traveler. Uh, yeah, you've been to the hey, Corona Light is a refreshing drink. It's a refreshing <laughs> drink. Hey, listen, man. I mean, it's nothing wrong with the beers, man. And like you said, a Corona, you know, that kind of takes you to the beach. And I love beaches. I've been all around the world. Some beautiful beaches. Fiji, Seychelles, you know what I'm saying? Oh, and that's right. Cracking a cold one, you know what I mean? And it, and in that time, I did, you know, drink some beers. So it was it was cool to, to drink that and enjoy that view. So if you feel like it in your mind, man, if that, it takes you there. 
Shit, that's all you need. Works for me. Works yeah. for me. Fiji, the Seychelles, Edgewater Park here in Cleveland. <laughs> you know, beaches all over the world. <laughs> all right, so that's going to bring it over to me. And I'm uh, so we got a PBR and a Corona and a tea. And the, I feel like right now the winner in the clubhouse is the tea. Uh, I'm going to bring it to a Cleveland brewery, Bookhouse Brewing. Uh, it's down on like West 25th. It's their third anniversary triple New England IPA. And uh, there's the can right there. And I like that can. Wow. Nice can. Pretty pretty art. (laughs) It's a beautiful beer. And we're going to give it a taste. Chad, you'd hate it. Yeah. (laughs) Just like Uh, every IPA. Yeah. Chad, you'd hate it. Uh, I love it. That's a great beer. Uh, If you want to find the the, uh, Bookhouse Brewing Triple IPA, I found it at like Heinen's. So you can go find it at the grocery store or go down to Bookhouse Brewing at West 25th. Give them a shout and uh, check out this beer because it's really, really good. It's a very good New England IPA, juicy, delicious. So those are our garage beer slash drinks of the week. Uh, again, get in the comments. I see other people. Uh, we saw somebody drinking uh, Cold Snap before. Get in the comments. Let us know what you're drinking. Uh, but if you've got any suggestions for us, send them our way. We will try them. We'll call you out on the podcast. And uh, and to you guys here on the show, I say cheers. To you, the listener, I say cheers. And now it's time to really get in and dive in to episode number 102 of the Garage Beers podcast, featuring, once again, our special guest, Lee Bodden. So, so Lee, when I hear your name, when Chad, Chad's like our guru at finding us guests. So when Chad sends me a text and says, Lee Bodden's coming on with us, the first thing I think, my very first memory of Lee Bodden, or maybe the, the biggest memory. Do you remember when Chad Johnson, he's Chad Johnson again now. You remember when Chad Johnson had a checklist of cornerbacks hanging in his locker? Mm-hmm. I don't know if everybody remembers this, but he used oh, to have yeah. a checklist hanging in his locker. And it would say, did this person stop Chad Johnson? And you know it was in third person like that. <laughs> did this person stop Chad Johnson? And it would just be yes or no. And to whatever point in the season where the Browns played the Bengals, we played him and you stopped him and he wouldn't check yes because he mm-hmm. never would check yes on there. But yours was the only one that didn't have a check mark. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, a crowning I, accomplishment there. It is. It is. I mean, one of the best receivers at the time, um, and even to me all time, Chad Johnson. And obviously for him to put that list up there, and it was some really good cornerbacks on that list. And the second time we played him, you know, he couldn't check my name off um of that list. And you know, I, I think, you know, I got the respect from him, his other teammates, and just, you know, people around the league, too, from, you know, seeing that. Yeah, dude, you never, you, I mean, outside of Chad Johnson, you never had an easy week, man. Like, back, yeah. in, back, back in that era, you, you, you were a DB in one of just the amazing eras of, of receivers. I mean, between just in the division alone, Heinz Ward. TJ, who's, who's, who's your mama? Who's <laughs> Right. Uh, 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 you know, Listen, then you got, Derek you know, Mason, yeah. uh, Mark Clayton. These were good on Baltimore's team. Like you said, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Chad. Right. Uh, listen, uh, Henry, Chris Henry, when he was alive, you know what I mean? Oh, Obviously, yeah. man, I mean, they had some guys, man, receivers. Yeah. And, and I was just a division. And then you talk about Andre Johnson, the Steve <laughs> Smiths, um, Jimmy Smiths. And the list can go on on. Randy Moss, obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of guys, man. Every week, Fitzgerald. I mean, Anquan Bolden. Like, these are receivers that, I mean, man, every week you face it. And so it was, it was a good time. 
uh, to yeah. be a cornerback to kind of see where you at um, as far as your skills. Now, Mike had down in the note, he had, you were in the golden age of wide receivers. I don't want to make you feel old or anything, Lee. So <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was about to say golden age. Hey, you know, I'm, <laughs> time is, you know what I mean, catching up to me a little bit. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm old, man. You know, you look back and like you said, mid-2000s, that's like, you know, in the teens. Yeah. Ago. <laughs> so, so I'm writing up our note and I'm writing names down and I'm like, I have to stop. Because we can't just list off 38 different names to this guy. It's going to take us an hour just to list. I'm over here looking at Tory Holt and Marvin Harrison and Man, I forgot about Donald you. Driver and Greg Jennings and like these crazy, insane wide receivers that you just had to go up week in and week out. I just feel like I feel like that era of the wide receiver from like the late 90s until like the early 2010s. That's like the best era of wide receivers. Man, you saw the yeah. best receivers come through. Yeah, Welker. Fitzgerald, like I said, I mean, you know, it's it, it's a ton of guy. Like you said, I mean, you got a list. I mean, if you run it down, it will take us a long time. But there were some great wide receivers there. And, I mean, obviously, there's some great wide receivers in our league now. But, um, you know, just kind of the caliber every team has is uh, was back then was a little a little different, man, than what it is now. So we talked about we talked about some of the receivers you had to go up against in the division, right? The Heinz Wards and the Santonio Holmes and uh, you know uh, Derek Mason's those guys. Was was there a guy maybe outside of the division where you'd look at the schedule when it came out and you saw a matchup and you just started you just got excited whether it was whether it was you know it was going to be a really tough matchup but that kind of got you excited or whether it was just somebody you were really excited to go up against who who was that wide receiver? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just the big name guys like uh, Randy Moss, you know, it's like, man, again, because I'm growing up, you watching this guy and like the T.O.'s. I never really got to play T.O. at his height. I played him uh, when he was with uh, Buffalo, when I was with New England in 09. Uh, And I really I thought I was going to get a chance to play with him like in his prime in 08 when he was with Philadelphia. But then that year um, was it 08? Yeah, 08. I was with Cleveland, and then, like you said, I got traded away. That's a, a whole crazy story that not a lot of people know why you know okay. that happened. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I know, but but so I would say, um, like Randy Moss, I would say, and and Andre Johnson was you know guys on a schedule. It's like okay, because you know when you want to be recognized as the best, you gotta um, play against the best, and when you you know play good against the best, that's where you can say okay, you know I'm I'm up there. You know what I mean with these guys uh, as far as, you know, um, being good in the league. Was Chad, was Chad one of the best trash talkers out, or was, uh, did he talk trash to you or who was, who was the guy that really kind of tried to get in your head the most? So I'll tell you, Chad ain't never say nothing. And, and everybody asked that um, because obviously we were in the division, but he never really talked trash to me. I remember one time he caught a pass because and and my mom even asked me, she's like, what did Chad say to you? Like, <laughs> and then I looked back at the film, right? And he walked up behind me. Like he caught a pass. Like it was a comeback. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but then he walked up behind me like he was saying something, but he didn't say a word. And I didn't even, I didn't even see him. You know what I mean? Uh, but he, he may have looked like he was saying something, but he didn't say anything. Like we had conversations before games sometimes and, you know what I mean, just about whatever. Uh, but it was never no trash talk between him and I. Steve Smith, now Steve Smith. Oh, yeah. He was one that was trying to like get in my head and, Ugh. you know, talk trash. Listen, I remember one time in Detroit, he was like, 
my boy ran you out of Cleveland. I'm gonna run you out of Detroit. <laughs> I was I was like, ain't nobody run me out of nowhere. And, I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then I was like, well, okay, well then show me then. And then um and, and I ain't really talked much trash to him. Um and I remember my boy Brian Russell, and this is take you back when yeah. I played him in the preseason, right? Brian Russell, one of my guys. I really, you know, love that guy. He was a safety, obviously, for the Browns. And he was like, the only time Steve Smith really, you know, talked like that, like how he was talking to me, he was like, is when, you know, you got him. You know what I'm saying? Like you, like you playing, you know, really good D on him. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Not not to say, because he going to talk trash, but the way he was trying to talk trash, he was like, you you got him. You know what I'm saying? So so now fast forward, he was in Detroit. I was in Detroit. We were playing uh, Carolina. He was still trying to talk this talk. And I would just make play after play after play against them. And one time we had a third down. This was fourth quarter. We were, believe it or not, we were in games in Detroit, <laughs> but we were down and we needed a stop. The defense did. Third down, they ran him a slant. I batted it down and I just stood there and just like on one knee, just looking. And all my teammates came up and was like, I thought he said, I thought you said he couldn't stop you, blah, blah. Like, so they was talking for me. He ain't saying a word. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Um, but you know, I, and Marvin Harrison is one, I, I didn't even try to talk trash to him. I was just trying to talk to him a little bit because he's a legend too. He ain't yeah. say a word to me. <laughs> he didn't say one word, like didn't open his mouth. I was like, damn dog. Yeah. <laughs> but, nothing. I can't get anything nothing, from you. Nothing. I didn't get nothing. <laughs> Cause and I complimented his shoes. Cause he had on some Jordans and I love Jordans. He had on some Jordan cleats and he didn't say a word, not one word. That must be what opponents feel like going up against Nick Chubb out there for the Browns. <laughs> just like, talk trash, please. Like, say something to something, me. Something, something. Nope. You know, it, nope. even if it's not trash, you know, if I say something, say something back at least. You know, yeah, how's, your, how's your family? Your <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like uh, coming from uh, uh, the comment section. I like this. Uh, just making our buddy McSawman over here think about the next several years of the Browns' young defensive backfield against what we talked about uh, in your era, really good wide receivers in Cincinnati. Well, now Cincinnati, again, really good wide receiver. So it mm-hmm. uh, looks like a little bit of a mirror image there. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it means a few more wins on our side. Uh, uh, but, yeah, a really good crop uh, of good defensive backs for the Browns and a good, mm-hmm. really good set of wide receivers. Um, Lee, the next place I wanted to go, I wanted to, like, pull back uh, uh, the curtain a little bit. Um, I think everybody's so familiar with how things go for kids getting drafted out of college, right? You get in the draft, uh, you, 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 you get your name called, you get on a plane, you show up, you do a press conference, boom, you're a draft pick, you sign a contract, boom. You didn't go through that. I mean, you're a record setter at Duquesne. Your, your name's on a building. Your name's on an atrium at like their field house at Duquesne. Uh, so you're a legend, uh, a Duquesne hall of famer, a record holder, uh, but you did not get drafted. Uh, in the 2004 draft. And so I don't know that a lot of people are super familiar with what the process is actually like for an undrafted kid uh, other than the draft ends and we're all on our phones <laughs> looking to see who got picked up where and how did it happen. So, you know, once that draft ends, first of all, did you have a feeling that, like, did you think you were going to get drafted? I knew or did I was you think- going to get drafted. You did? I, I, I felt like I was going to get drafted. But, I mean... W- you want me to go on, you know what I mean? Oh, into it. Sure. Yeah, so and I'll tell you why I felt like I was going to get drafted. I'll try to, you know, keep a short version. 
right? So my junior year in college at Duquesne, uh, we played Sacred Heart, our last game of the season. And Sacred Heart had a wide receiver, Devrin Johnson, uh, and he was leading the nation in yards per catch. And <clears throat> he was pretty good wide receiver, obviously leading the nation. And I played him. He had two catches for like, I don't know, in the teens or something, maybe 20 yards. I don't know. You know what I mean? But he didn't have his average. He only had two catches. And I followed him the whole game. And I got an interception against him. Uh, and so that year he was a senior, he got drafted by the Dallas Cowboys in like the sixth round. You, all this is facts. So I remember spring game or spring practice, like, cause I didn't even watch the draft, but all my teammates was like, man, did you hear definitely got drafted? You definitely going next year. Like, cause you dominated him. You know what I mean? So I'm like, damn, you know what I mean? And I, and I already felt like I had the ability to play in a league. Um, but then now this is really telling like, okay, he got drafted and I know I'm getting drafted, you know, and again, I'm leading the nation. Um, well, top leaders in the nation in interceptions. Um, and you know, all I got to do is have a senior season just like that. And boom, you know, I felt like I was going to get drafted. And again, I ended my career second all time in division one, double a interceptions, like of all time. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm getting drafted. It doesn't happen. So now, like you said, now go to the draft process as far as the draft. A couple of teams felt like and, and called me during the draft. They said that they were looking to maybe uh, draft me in the mid-rounds. Um, it didn't happen. Then a team, and I'll say it now, and I, I used to tell people this, you know, back in the day, but the Green Bay Packers, they called. But they called me, like, in the seventh round. They were like, but you probably won't want to get picked in the seventh round, would you? And I told them no and hung up the phone. Swear to God. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. because because yeah. A, lot, a lot of people were saying, well, my agent, too, Ralph Singers at the time, he was like, you you want to be a free agent because you'll be able to pick where you want to go. Sometimes, you know, low draft picks don't, you know, make the squad. I mean, you look at, like, a lot of Mr. Irrelevance, you know, the last player drafted, right. you know, or seventh-round picks, period. They don't usually make the team. All, well, all the time, they don't. So you kind of want to pick where you want to go. So now the draft ends. My phones, all my phones is blowing up. Um, and my mom, I was at my mom's house. She had an upstairs line, a downstairs line, right? So they call them both of those lines. And then I got a cell phone. They call them my cell phone. Um, my agent calling, teams are calling. Um, and so it's like a frenzy. It's like, I don't know what the, what the hell to do. You know what I'm saying? So, so I got, and these teams want to answer right now. Like, are you going come with us or, or, you know, or you're not because they, I'm sure they have other people calling other players to be free agents and, and they were giving me a signing bonus and what my agent told me too. And, and people told me not to go with a team that was just going to give you the most money for the signing bonus, because you may not make that team either. You got to go to the best team that you feel like you're going to succeed and play and, and have a chance to be on a roster. So um, you know, I had done research on teams before because Chuck Pagano, he actually came to my college like a week before the draft, though. And I was like, man, in a way, I'm getting drafted by the Browns. Because <laughs> 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 he came a week before. He came a week before the draft because his scout didn't have a 40 time on me. And he just wanted to, you know, come see me in person, I guess, because, you know, I guess he was hearing buzz about me. And going back in that story, he called me. And he was like, how many interceptions did you have? And I was like, 28. He was like, damn. He said, like, no wonder everybody yeah, right. talking about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
And so again, he came to Duquesne. And but I'm thinking, man, somebody already, you know, want me. Why do I need to, you know, be with the Browns and, you know, worry about what they, you know, doing? Because it's a week before the draft. You're not gonna. I'm not going there. But so, but I did my research <laughs> on these teams that I, I felt like were interested. Like San Diego was really interested, but they they had drafted a corner and a safety that draft. So I'm like, yeah. I know, but they still called me to be a free agent. I'm like, ain't no way. I ain't gonna make that team. So, so I, through all those teams, I picked the Browns because I felt like um, that was the best option for me to play. And to be honest, I think my my agent told me that the GM at the time, I, I'll draw a blank right now. I wish, damn, I forgot his name. There's been so many. Let me look through my Rolodex. It was P. Garcia, I believe. I think it was P. Garcia. But he told my agent if he shows any flashes of what he did at Duquesne, he'll at least be on a practice squad. So I was like, okay, I'm at least I got a a team. And I knew I was gonna do what I did at Duquesne. And so I was like, I got a chance. At least I'm I'm here and I have a spot. So they said. So I'll I'll pick Cleveland. And so that's really what the free agency is about after the draft. You know, they they call in because you have a pro day obviously and, and they get all your information and you know that's how they were calling my phone. Uh, for my my mom's line and my cell phone, it was, it was like wow, this it was crazy. Pre- this probably is this pre- Chad. Go Chad? Ahead. So, I'm sorry, I was gonna let Chad go. Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, it's just it's just probably a weird question in my head. It um, you know, so you know, you're going through all these pro days, you're going through all the process, you know, and and these teams are looking at your film, but then like you go through these pro days, and, and you know. Everybody always kind of makes a big deal, like, "Oh, I, I don't know how much you can get from a guy like running a forty time in shorts." Right. Like, so I, right. I, I don't know. I, I, is it is it really that all encompassing, Lee? I don't know if I don't I don't know if that's a again. It's probably a weird question that <laughs> to to ask. But is it all encompassing, or is it more like performing on the field as opposed to what you do in the pro day? I think um, on the field should show more than a pro day. You know what I mean? But sometimes they. They take the pro day and, you know, blow it out of proportion, in my in my mm-hmm. opinion. And I'll tell you, so people, I look slow on the field. That's what they told me, right? And I remember one mm-hmm. scout from Minnesota, he came, he clocked I mean, it was just the, the um, stopwatch. But he clocked me, and he couldn't believe how fast. He made me go running again because it was like 4-3 something. <laughs> I am not lying. He was like, he was like ain't no way. <laughs> and he asked me, right. he was like, what did you think I – you ran. I was like, I don't know, four, 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 five. Like I, I was like, I don't know. And then he turned and watched around, and it was like four, three, something. And he was like, go run it again, like because he didn't believe it, and people, because <laughs> people thought I was slow on the field. So in Jeez. certain instances like that, I can understand it. But if I'm making plays on the field, and and that was the problem too, was they were like, well, you you didn't play anybody that great, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And again, the only person I can say is I played against Devin Johnson. He got drafted, and go look at what I did to him. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. So. Um, but again, for them to see you live in mm-hmm. speed, doing drills, sometimes, you know, sometimes people need to see it in person, right. And not on the film, but the film don't lie. That's one, you know, phrase that we talk about. The film don't lie. It's going to show you exactly what you're going to get. And two, I think a lot of times that what that does is it's like how you perform like under pressure. Cause again, it was a ton of scouts there, um, pretty much from every team. And it's like, okay, what you going to do when everybody's watching? Because, you know, 
at Duquesne, it was about a thousand people there, if that, and not really important, you know, saying people. So it's like, how can you perform sure. under this this pressure and these lights? So I think it's it's necessary in some instances, but I, I don't think how they look at it um, should be weighed that much. I think the film again is is what matters. You're you're a great okay. person to yeah. answer that. You're a great person to answer that question because, like, I've always thought. I say it all the time. I hate the NFL Combine. I hate it. <laughs> I think it's so overblown. A guy has to run a certain time, and that affects his draft stock. Or maybe he can jump really, really high, and that affects his draft stock. And I think, how many times have we seen a guy that didn't perform at the combine? His draft stock plummets. He gets drafted by some good team because now he's fallen in the draft, and now a good team can take him, and then he dominates in the league. Exactly. He didn't have a good combine. Like, <laughs> I, I'm glad to hear it from you, though, because I always felt the one group of people I always felt like it was good for was maybe guys coming from smaller schools, mm -hmm. guys coming from – not Ohio State, not you know, not Texas, not Florida, but uh, but guys coming from smaller schools that can maybe uh, show out a little bit there. So so yeah, it was I I, yeah. I, I see the value of it there. I guess yeah yeah. I, mean, I wondered if it, I wondered if it yeah. That's what I wondered because I just wondered if it truly mattered. Like oh, we didn't draft this quarterback because he has tiny hands, or like <laughs> you know, I just I just wondered how much of it all like really really truly mattered. But yeah, and but know. it depends on. You know what I mean? Who it is. To me, it wouldn't matter that much, but certain people, they feel like it matters that much. You know, so yeah. it just depends on who you're talking to, what front office you're talking to, what team you're talking to. So you make it. You're a member of the Browns. Your first year, uh, for those of you trying to remember back, it's the Jeff Garcia year. It's the it's Butch Davis's last year. Yep. Uh, he gets fired halfway through the year. Uh or well, that was the next whatever. season. Yeah, that was the next season. Oh four, oh three. He was there whole season. The whole season. Okay, so your first so that year was, was that was Tim Couch and Kelly Holcomb. That's right. Okay, so your I thought your first season was oh four, but I had uh, that written yeah. down wrong. So your first season was oh three, uh, which that was a weird year because that team's coming off their first playoff appearance. Man, yeah, I'm thinking, man, we about to you know I mean do some damage, <laughs> <laughs> right? And there was damage done. Lee, there was damage, <laughs> plenty of damage. Right, on not some the, of those not the damage I wanted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you join, you join, uh, uh, like earlier in your career, you join a defensive backs room that includes includes guys like Robert Griffith, who people don't remember how good that dude was. Man, but he was really man. good. It includes really good. Anthony Henry. Anthony Henry man. at one point, like looked like going to be the next best cornerback in the NFL. Uh, he was an interception machine. 10 his rookie year. Yes. Uh, and you had vets. You had Dalen McCutcheon and Dale Earl McCutcheon. Riddle and Chris Crocker, mm. and you played with all those guys early on. So as a guy coming out of Duquesne, probably a bit of a learning curve. I mean, football is football, sure, but there's probably a bit of a learning curve for anybody, Absolutely. whether you're coming out of Duquesne or wherever, getting into the NFL. How did those guys in that defensive back room uh, just kind of help prepare you? And what did you learn from those guys? My goodness, man. I, when I, I still talk to those guys to this day, um, and I tell them every single time, how grateful I was to be a part of a group like them. And then I promise you, uh, I took that on whatever team I was at because they embraced me and tried to help me in every single way. And you would think that because we say, play the same position that they're, you know, just kind of being standoffish and don't want to help you, but they helped me every step of the way to grow as a, a football player, as a person, as a man, 
Um, and I, I did that with younger guys, too, to just try to give them all the knowledge that, that I had, that they gave me. And it's just passing it um, on to the next man. So Robert Griffith, like you said, Dalen McCutcheon, Anthony Henry, Earl Little, um, all these. I mean, Mike Jamison was a veteran, too. Lou Sanders, um, yeah. all these guys were just helping me every way they could. Um, and I just appreciate being in that locker room with those guys to help me grow as a young guy. And again, the crazy thing is, and I still wasn't ready. You know what I'm saying? Like my first three, and I, I got a chance. I actually got a chance to start. I want to say my rookie year and my second year. Um, I got a chance to start, but I, and I wasn't ready. Um, but I, I think if I would have had more time, but we, we have vets that were good enough to, to play, you know, so I couldn't, you know, get more time to get um, acclimated to the league. Uh, but I, I think, again, they still helped me every step of the way. So it was important to be in that locker room, and I was grateful. Yeah, I, I was looking back at those teams. You know, and I, you know, we watched all. We're Browns fans. We watched all those games. But I'm looking back on those teams, and I'm looking at those names, and I'm like, man, I'm, not, I'm looking at not even the deep defensive backs, but like Andre Davis at point. Oh, I forgot about him. Oh, my gosh. 100, yeah. 150 <laughs> tackles one year. Like, dude Orpheus was crazy. Or he is Roy. Yeah. Roy yes. so, so I forget about because we're just talking about defensive backfields, but those guys helped me too. Like Orpheus Roy, um, Gerard Warren was a right, but Andre yeah. Davis as well. I mean, like, we had a lot of guys on that defensive uh, team that, that helped me as a rookie, like, in whatever way I needed it. Like, that team, that's why to me, Everybody asks me what's my favorite team, and it's the Browns because I was such a young guy. Yeah, and I grew into you know who I was, you know, or what type of player I wanted to be with the Browns. You know what I mean? And then having those relationships with those guys, and it's like I'm indebted to them because they helped me grow as a player. And even again, Chuck Pagano uh, and Todd Bowles. You know what I mean? Were my defensive back coaches. I mean, they were like very meaningful to my career and learning from them in those locker rooms. I'm um, not locker rooms, meeting rooms, excuse me. It just helped me grow like listening and learning and them answering any and every question that I had. It was just important for me. And that's why I feel like that's my favorite team because I just, I grew up there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. As a, as a kid, you know, 21 year old, you, you think you've grown, you know what I mean? But then you realize you ain't grown, but then, and as a football player as well. So we're going to bounce back and forth a little bit between your time with the Browns and then the current Browns, because you're a Browns fan, yeah. right? That's your team. Yeah, yeah that's uh, team. You just talked a lot about the relationships in the locker room with your defense. Uh, one of the storylines after this Browns year, which was a, we call it a tough year. Uh, <laughs> if you played for the Browns in, in, at certain points, you'd be like eight, eight wins in a year. We, we're okay with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but with the expectations this team had to go eight and nine was a disappointment. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of the storylines that came out, a lot of the players talked about it, was they just felt like a disconnect. The players didn't have relationships in the building. They didn't have – the defense had no relationship with the offense. They weren't hanging out. They weren't doing anything. They weren't hanging out with special – well, you know, special teams goes everywhere. But, yeah, you know, right. the, the players weren't meshing and, and they weren't around each other. They weren't together. From your time in the NFL, from teams like the Browns and the Lions to another team that you played for – and we're going to get to this right towards the end, but you played right in the heyday of the New England Patriots. How yeah. important is it is that chemistry within the locker room? <clears throat> how how often did you guys 
hang out with the offensive players and 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 how important is that? Uh, I think it's important. I mean, because you got to learn the man next to you and the men that are around you. Um, but I think it's it's just how the locker room is with like the leaders of it, you know, and how they work the locker room. You know what I mean? And I, I feel like that's what it takes um, to be a good team and to be cohesive with everybody. Um, and you don't necessarily have to, you know, hang out with people outside of it, but that is good. Cause I'll tell you what, our defensive backfield, we went out every Thursday, every yeah. single th- in Cleveland, every Thursday night, just to know who we are, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's what made us close. And you're going to play well and play for those guys. Cause you know, them a little bit more and their family and whatever it is. And so I think, um, I think it's important. It plays a, a role because when you are like distant from your, co-worker you know what i'm saying like i mean you ain't really you know playing hard for him and you don't care about him you know what i mean it's like i don't care you know what I'm saying? i ain't gonna see him tomorrow or whatever like when you like i don't even want to say play bad or like you just want to show up next to the guy or in the house knowing that you gave everything you got you know what i mean because you know you hanging out with him during the week you know what i mean you don't want it but when you're not hanging out with him it's like whatever i ain't gonna see him anyway so i'm willing to talk so I think it's important to be able to to have some type of relationship with the players. So yeah, absolutely. So all right, let's go ahead. Let's Chad. Get back to you, Chad Delaney. <laughs> go and, ahead, you and talk. Your, and your time with the Browns here, like. Oh, all right. You know, I'll just talk now. Uh, <laughs> Did you tell? Back to your see your your time here, Lee. Uh, you know, you you, you know, in, in the next couple of years, you know, you have a great. Uh, a middle year as far. And then the next year after that, you get injured. But then 2007, everything just starts to take off. And you have one of the most exciting seasons uh, since 1999. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know, what was, what was the, what was the feeling like in that locker room? What was, I mean, h- how was that season for you? Just your thoughts on that season alone. Man, so it was exciting because again, like you said, I was there from 2003 and now we're like on a roll, you know, and it, things are clicking and it's like, okay, we can do something. Uh, we did have 10 wins. We didn't make it to the playoffs, but we're thinking, okay, man, this is uh, a great year that we're going to build on this um, <clears throat> because we had a lot of players. Like you, now you go on the offensive side, we got Kellen Winslow Jr. You got um, Braylon Edwards. You got Derek Anderson. Uh, you you got Lewis. Jamal Lewis, all these, mm-hmm. you know, these pieces that we have and, and, you know, they're playing great. Uh, Joe Thomas was, you know, there too. I want to say he might've been a rookie that rookie. year, maybe. Yep. Yeah. Um, but he played well and we had a good O-line, good defense, but, um, you know, what happened was like, uh, you know, you, they kind of tore it down, you know, Phil Savage, like, like he, he got rid of me and then he started getting rid of everybody. So it's like, how do you go from this, having this team, having this season and don't want to, you know, do it again, you know, and see what we can do <laughs> with this. You know what I mean? It's, and it's the first season like this. And Romeo Cornell, this was like his third year, yes. you know, getting there. And again, I, I knew that the management and the coaching weren't on the same page because they would draft people. And the coaches really didn't want him. 
You know what uh, I mean? Or they sign people. Like, th- this happened. And it's like, well, we'll put them in. And it's like, they, they don't even fit. You know what I'm saying? And and so that friction was there. Uh, and like I said, the GM, man, Phil Savage just blew it up. And it's like, for what? Do you ever feel like you're a player, right? So you understand, like, putting the team together is a complicated thing. It is. Finding yeah. players that fit and finding the right players and keeping chemistry. We've talked a lot about that. That's important. But as a player, do you sometimes just sit back and go, man, it is simpler than this? <laughs> like, I mean, listen, it is because it's like, okay, like I just said, you got a 10 and 6 season. Let's run it back. Let's do it again. See if we could do it again. You know, it's just like you said with the, the Browns of um, the season before this one. They made it to the playoffs. Now we're going, let's see if we could do this again. You know what I mean? And, you know, they kept the same pieces, but it's like, you know, what went wrong, to be honest, I mean, I couldn't really even tell you. But but to blow up a team and to just take guys away, you know, where you feel like, oh, maybe we could do without him, like that's not going to work. And then and then people are going to see that, the people on the team, and then it's like, man, why you do that? Why, why did you get rid of him? Why right. did you trade him? Or why did you do – we didn't need that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it just doesn't make sense. You know what I'm saying? So it's just – disappointing to the players now because and i think i don't know you hear about this stuff like that kind of deflates people because it's like okay well if he did it to him then he gonna do it to me he don't really care they don't care about winning because this was one of the best guys and this was you know a key piece or why did you do it and like you said it's simpler than what they make it and all you got to do again if you have a good season it's like let's let's try to do it again and now if it doesn't happen it's Okay, now let's maybe do something. But yeah, don't just you know get rid of key pieces and thinking <laughs> you're going. You know, it's just it's just crazy. But you know, these people get these jobs in. Uh, they do crazy they, things. They do they crazy, do crazy things. things, man. You know, and yeah. again, Phil Savage was a guy from came from Baltimore, so you think he know what he's doing? But it was Ozzie Newsom that would knew what he was doing because obviously Ozzie Newsom is still there. You know, making you know the Baltimore still. <laughs> you know, relevant and, you know, you take somebody and then they, they just, you know, doing whatever, you know what I mean? And not being on the same page with like the coaches, you know what I mean? And, and people in the front office is like, you just trying to do your own thing. Like, I guess like a game and you don't have consequences. <laughs> so Lee, we have a question from one of the listeners uh, from Ty Sox says uh, we as fans can't see the chemistry in the locker room. And that's true. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's one thing we can't, it's hard to even talk about when you've never right. been in an NFL locker room. It's hard to talk about chemistry in an NFL locker room because we really don't know what that means. Uh, so is is that lack of chemistry, this is the question, usually the answer if a team kind of implodes? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, if it's like, if you feel like it's, uh, it's going well and then it kind of, something just shifts, it usually is because you hear it. Uh, you hear like even the coaches, they might lose the locker room, you know what I mean? Or the locker room is divided, you know what I mean? And so that's why you always want to keep things uh, just as simple as possible and keep everybody on the same page because when that happens, right, again, it's, it's, to be honest, it's like any job. It's like any friendship or team, you know, if one per, if half the people are siding here and the other side is siding here, like, it's not going to work. I don't care if you put some good players on the field. It's just the energy right. that's that's you're putting out there. 
you know what I mean, on the field. And it's never going to be the way it should be if people aren't, um, you know, together, really. Yeah. And so it's it, so a move like a GM or a coach do something sometimes and, and it don't make sense to people in the locker room, then like you're going to have it divided, you know, sure. and then it's then they're going to look at them like, oh, man, I was that was like you said, it was kind of dumb. Why would you do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> unless unless you can explain to the team why you did it um, and, you know, get them to understand you're thinking but if you just do it and it just looks crazy you know you lose your people so it it plays a big part i think you know in the decisions that whether the coach gm or even players do again you hear it like like let's say the to's and the you know uh mcnab you know it's like it's difficult you know what i mean because you're going to have fights, but sometimes that helps, to be honest. You know what I mean? So it, it just kind of depends on, I think, the leadership in a locker room, too. I think it depends on that and how you can, because like a family, you can go through some some spats um, and you can get over it. You know what I mean? But it's it's like how you get everybody together and understand, OK, we, we did that. We got through this. Now let's uh, keep the task at hand and, and play good football. Lee, how much do you hate the 2007 Indianapolis Colts? if you don't don't remember week 17 of that year the Colts have locked up the one seed they sit their starters Jim right? was it Tennessee yeah Yeah, I I believe against against Tennessee Titans I believe Jim Sorge starting at quarterback for the Colts you guys do what you had to do I was at that game you beat the 49ers at home Poor forty. Imagine being the 49ers having to come to Cleveland the last game of the season. That's a rough one on the schedule. Right. You beat the Niners at home, and the Colts trot out Jim Sorge, who proceeds to lose, and the ten and six Cleveland Browns don't make the playoffs. I was listen. I was pissed off because because again, Tennessee. I, I believe, and you can look it up. I believe because I, I. That's why I know because I was. Like, man, this is our first time going to the playoffs. I was like, Tennessee just got to beat, you know, the – oh, no, the Colts had to beat Tennessee. and But then they had nothing to play for. <sighs> so they sat, like you said, Peyton Manning, and then, you know, Tennessee won. And Tennessee got in the playoffs. Cause, so it was – Tennessee had to win to get in the, in the, into the playoffs, and they beat the Colts, and the Colts just sat their players. And so I was like, well, we're out of it. <laughs> And I was pissed off. So yeah, whoever it was Dun- Dungey the coach, I should write him a letter and yeah, yeah. Out. <laughs> hey, listen. I know this is many years later, <laughs> but hi, my name's Lee Bodden. Played for the uh, played for the Browns, and I got a beef with you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Are you what the something? hell, Tony? <laughs> what yeah, what, the, hell what the hell, Tony? Why didn't you look out for us, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean the Browns. It's the Browns. We we needed this. We needed it. <laughs> yeah, you you had to want this, Tony Dungy. You had to want this. Uh, all right, let's get to the right. let's get to the part. Right. Uh, I don't. I can't tell if Chad's on a delay or. Not. Let's get to the part that you hinted at earlier because I've been so excited for it since we started talking. After that 2007 season, it shocks everybody. The Browns send you to Detroit. For Sean Rogers. So you said not too many people kind of know the story behind that. So fill us in, Lee. Yeah, and I don't think anybody, just personally people know. But uh, so 
if you know, 2005, I signed an extension um, to my rookie year deal. Um, yep. And they kind of, they knew what they were doing because uh, I was going to be a restricted free agent and they would have had to like tender me. And I don't know if you know what tender means. Like, so they would have had to like mid tender me or high tender me because I was an undrafted free agent. So if anybody wanted to come sign me and if they just regular tender, tendered me, if anybody wanted to come sign me, they didn't have to give up no draft pick because I was undrafted. So um, what they did was they signed me to an extension and they gave me, you know, quite a bit of money for an undrafted guy. And I couldn't turn it down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. But Brian Russell, he told me, because he had a locker right next to mine. He said, Lee, you're going to be underpaid in like two years at the end of this contract. I was like, I don't care, man. Like, I'll, I'll handle that when it comes. But, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because, <laughs> because football, you just never know. Like, because like you hinted at, not hinted at, but you said in 2006, I got injured. Right? So let's just say I would have played on that tender year and then, you know, had a good season. Oh, oh no, I think that next year, 06 was, yeah, 06, now I get injured. Yeah. Now it's like, my worth just goes down now. You get right. what I'm saying? Because that's their bargaining tool, like, when you get injured. So, uh, so 05, they signed me, and I took the deal. And I said, I'll, ha- I'll worry about that afterwards. So then, uh, 2007 rolls around, and, you know, I had, like, six picks. Yep. Um, and, but then throughout that, 05, 06, 07, um, I was top 10 in interceptions, PBUs, and tackles for cornerbacks. I, I showed them the stats. Okay. So, so I went to, after the season, I talked to Phil Savage and Romeo Cornell. They right in front of me. We ha- were in the office and I had this sheet that shows here, I'm top 10. From 05, 06, 07, right? In those three years, I'm top 10, every category. And then I put down the paper of my pay. I was 32nd getting paid in corners. And, right, it's 64 corner, right? It's 64 starting corners. I'm 32nd. And I said, I'm not asking to be top 10, but I'm saying just bump me up. From you better seconds. get me close. <laughs> get me close. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, that's really what I said. I said, I'm not asking for top 10 money, but I'm saying if I'm top 10 in stats and I'm 32nd in pay, that don't add up. And so Phil was like, you know, he wanted me to wait a year. And and I was young then, and I didn't really know how to negotiate. My agent sent me in there like, like I knew what the hell I was doing. And I, I, literally, <laughs> I literally told him, I was like, that's a slap in my face. To wait a year to tell me to wait a year, then when I when I showed you what I who I am in 06, like I said, yeah, I was injured, um, and I hurt my ankle. I had two high ankle sprains that season, and I but I was looking in the beginning of that season. Shit, I was looking good before yeah. I got injured against uh, yeah. um, the Raiders, and so I was like down because and, and I'll go back in the story like in 04. I think I would have made the Pro Bowl on special teams. I had 18 special teams tackles in eight games, and I got hurt the eighth game, and I was out for the year. And I was off the lead, the league lead by like five, um, five tackles in special yeah. teams. So you know, so so now going back there. So now I'm in, we're in 2007, and we're talking about this contract. So he told me to wait a year, and I just felt like that was a slap in my face. 
Um, and to be honest, it was because, and, and it's no shade to my boy Gary Baxter, but Gary Baxter was on that top 10 list, right? And, yeah. and he, had, he had been injured, you know? And it's like, damn, like, you know what I mean? I'm playing, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's, again, because he had un- unfortunate injuries and all of that. Right, um, right. Yeah. But, but I'm saying, but I'm, I'm playing and, and I feel like you paid him top 10 money. Yo, why not me? Yeah, or, or get me close. And that's all I was saying. And that's why I felt like it was a stop in the face. Like, damn, you don't think I'm I'm worth that? You know what I'm saying? I'm I show you the stats. But then uh what's the name? Romeo Cornell, he was like, Lee, I don't what I love what you just did right here. Like you didn't come in here just demanding money without showing us something. And he was like, Whatever comes out of this, just know I want you to be on this team. Uh, because I think you're a hell of a player. He said this right there in the office. And I was like, all right. And then I just, free agent comes, free agency, excuse me, comes, and then I get a call, and they said they traded me. You wow. know what I'm saying? Like from, yeah, well, well, Cleveland didn't even call. First, <laughs> I got a call from Kennard uh, McGuire, and it was actually, Kennard McGuire was uh, Sean Rogers, his agent. But I, I would... Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> but because I had I had interviewed him because I I switched agents. I interviewed oh. um Alvin Kills, Kennard McGuire, and um what's my boy? He do everybody. Uh, well, he's a, uh Drew Rosenhaus. Drew Rosenhaus. Drew Rosenhaus. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know why I'm going <laughs> like I, my memory is. I don't know if it's CTA or just being a cornerback and you know short. It memory. was that bad of an interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's not. It's not mint tea in there, Lee. I get it. That's fine. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say yeah. that. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> but but so so Kanal McGuire he called me and said, you know, I'm going to the the Lions, and I'm and in my mind I'm like, hell no, I want to go to the Lions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and listen. And the year before that, like, or that year, Lee Suggs, you remember the running back, great oh, yeah. player. We traded him to the Jets. He didn't pass the physical, so he had to come back. I called my agent. I was like, yo, can I, can I, is it a way I can fail this physical so they could come back and trade you to somebody else? <laughs> I'm not even joking to you. I'm not even joking to you. I'm, speaking. This is, this is straight up. Man, I got to And I didn't think, I, think I, I, I didn't go think we were going to be that bad. Yeah. I just didn't want to go to the line. I was like, no, why? I just came from Cleveland. You know, I don't want to go to the, I want to go to somebody that's going to be, you know, or that's a, you know, a playoff team or whatever. Like, I didn't want to go there. Um, but then, you know, I was like, you know, listen, God, this happened. And let me just go ahead and, and do my best here. And, you know, so, so that's the story behind that. Wow. Um, Phil Savage just wanted me to wait a year. And then look what happened the year. He got fired after that year. So I would have had to wait another year. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because a new GM wouldn't have been like, okay, Lee, yeah, we'll give you another contract. Right. Like, well, you you have to prove it to me. So I don't, you know what I mean? So that's the way it went down. And So many of those guys think they're the smartest guy in the room, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they do. They do, um, I guess. And, but again, the, the coach knew, and, and I'll tell you even, and I got released in 2011 from the Patriots. Um, it, it was because I was injured, but the first person that called was Romeo Cornell. And he was a defensive coordinator at Kansas City. Um, and Todd Haley was the coach. And I remember going there and Todd Haley, Haley was like, I don't really know much about you, Lee, I'm going to be honest. But 
Romeo says you're a hell of a player, and so this is why you're here. You know what I mean? So they was going, okay. they were going to sign me, but I didn't even, I ain't passed the physical because, um, you know, my back and my hip was all messed up. So um, that was the the end of like you know my career because because of injury. So before we get out of, oh, Chad, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say now you know you know you mentioned the Patriots uh, there, Lee. I mean, obviously we got to mention, you know, Tom Brady just announced his retirement today. Uh, and, you know, you were there in 2009, uh, you know, to 2011, you know, uh, obviously we got to ask you, what was your experience like with him, man? What, what made him so special? Man. So I'll be again, and I can bring it back to the Browns. Um, in 2007, we played them and that year that they went undefeated and we actually played them. Well, it was like 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter. If you look at the end of the score, it looked like a blowout, <laughs> but <laughs> no, seriously, but, it was 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter and we had chances to like beat them. Um, but we just didn't. And again, you remember that year, they was blowing people out. It was just, it was crazy, but it was yeah. closer than what our score says. So, but getting to Tom, when I seen him demand the excellence on the field, like from his players and how he commanded things, I was like, God damn. Like, this is a – I ain't never seen this in a quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Like, the fire, the energy, the um, just the aura, you know, of him and how he's, you know, talking to the team and directing people and, and demanding excellence from them right there on the field. I was like, like – I mean, you thinking – you think of a defensive guy acting like that, like a Ray Lewis or, you know, linebackers. Right, right, right. He, w- he was doing that as a quarterback. So so I felt, I felt it there in 2007. So now to come – uh, in 2009 to see him and it, this was the year after he came back from his injury um, you know it's the same thing though like his his competitiveness uh, his drive his uh, willingness to be great and and that just uplifts everybody else you know what I mean because he's competing against you and you competing against him and you want to right like I was talking about with receivers it's like man I, I want to see what I am made of against Tom Brady in practice and because that's just going to make me better so and that's what competitors want to do. So he just he made everybody better around him just by the way he came to work every single day and practiced every single day. So it was uh, it was just an amazing experience to uh, to just be around him and just that organization too. I mean, twenty two years in the NFL is crazy. And and it, you know, I think as a fan, I think we've all run through the. It was phases of Tom Brady. If you're not a Patriots fan, it was phases of Tom Brady. It was like, wow, this new guy is awesome. <laughs> and then there was that long phase where you're like, I'm sick and tired of this guy. <laughs> like, I'm sick and tired of this dude. I don't want to ever see him win ever again. Right. And then, and I think it hit everybody differently, uh, whether it was coming back in the Super Bowl against Atlanta towards the end of his career. For me, again, I th- it hit me earlier, but man, just moving out of the Belichick and, and, and that system – and just going down and taking over a Buccaneers team and taking them to the Super Bowl and winning it is, I think, an incredible accomplishment. Uh, just, I mean, what what an amazing career! I feel like I feel like we've all come to the point towards the end of, of his career where we're like, we just watched. I mean, we watched twenty two years of absolute greatness, uh, of greatness, of excellence, and it was crazy. And and I'll just go to like the playoff game that they just was in. It looked like they were out of it, and it just seems like shit just goes the way and it's like you just felt like tom was gonna win it again it's like god damn he was getting chances you know at the end of the game like damn they about to win this for real 
<laughs> and I'll tell you, in 09, this happened our first game Monday night. We were playing the Bills. We were getting beat. And and listen, this is what went on in my head. I'm like, and I'm coming from Detroit, ain't win a game. I'm like, I sit up here and curse the Patriots. We ain't going we gonna to lose <laughs> to the Bills. <laughs> yeah, but I actually and I actually played a great game. You know, I think I want to say I got I might have got a game ball that game too. Playing, you know, I played good, but it's like, damn, am I bringing the, some bad aura to the Patriots? <laughs> but man, we came back, and Tom might score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter in the last minutes to win the game. You know, obviously things happen like Brandy Brandon Merriweather got a strip on a kickoff. Yeah, and in that you know that gave us you know a chance to score, gave him a chance to score, and like I said, that's what happened this last time. Like some, I forgot what happened, but it gave him a chance to have an opportunity to to win, and it's like you know that shit just happens, and it just seems like Tom just takes advantage of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but yeah, it's, it's it's greatness, man. Um, that you watch for, like you said, twenty two years. And now he's one of my favorite follows on Twitter. Like, I want to fucking yeah, try right. avocado ice cream. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Uh, okay, never, never mind. Never mind. Uh, one last football question, one non-football question. We'll let you get out of here, Lee. My last football question is this. I'm wondering, as a guy who was on that 2007 Browns team and then who was part of just an implosion when they traded you, and I think there's some similarities. Uh uh, the 2007 team, if people remember, there were people screaming for Brady Quinn, even though Derek Anderson led them to 10 wins. Uh, uh, you had Braylon was starting to make a little bit of noise uh, about not being super happy, even though he put up an insane year that year. Yeah. Uh, Kellen was doing a little bit of the same thing. Uh, and and there's some similarities to that from that team to this year's team where they tasted some success two years ago. Now this year was a little bit harder, and you just saw. You saw an unhappy wide receiver uh, who was released in Odell Beckham. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're hearing rumblings of uh, coming out from players, we didn't like this, we didn't like that. There's rumors floating everywhere about people demanding trades and stuff like that. So you talked about Phil Savage, and, and you put it in nicer terms, but from what I would say, just botching a good situation. <laughs> Uh, how does Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, how do they, how do they, is it just a, 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 an issue of just keeping your cool and like not feeling the pressure to make a million different moves just to make them? Uh, how do they, how do they get back into getting back to the playoffs and being winning team? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's really not rocket science. Sometimes I feel like you go to what worked for you, you know me at that point. It's just like anything. I mean, like you go back to what took you there and try to copy that and just look at what you did that next year. Like, did we change anything? You know, how can we get back there? And it's just self-assessing, I think, um, yourself and not having to do, you know, a number of different uh, things and second guessing yourself or thinking you got to do major things. And like, I always, I have to equate it to like a Bill Belichick. Like he knows what kind of player he wants. It, they don't have to be a big name. You know what I mean? And that's what's right. so beautiful about um, Bill Belichick because he just knows what type of player that's going to fit with what he wants to do. 
And that's what these GMs have to do instead of like trying to go out and get a big name or, you know, um, yep. they got to understand who they are. And so that's what, and so I'm just reiterating, you have to know what you did um, two seasons ago to get you to that point. And then you just got to try to repeat it. And now if it don't work now, it's like, okay, you know, let's see, because sometimes that happens. Like, you know, you, you have like Super Bowl hangovers. They talk about, you know, that's team that right. went to Super Bowl. You may not, you know, go back. Do you, do we blow it up again? No, let's just try to see what we, what went wrong that season. It could have been injuries. It could have been anything, right? But you have to assess and see what that is and now try to get back to where you were. And that's, that's really what I think. And it, you don't have to make major moves all the time. And that's why I feel like sometimes they outthink themselves and outsmart themselves. And then you just, now it's all, all the way fucked up. You know, excuse my language, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you just kind of got to keep it simple sometimes. You know what I mean? And and everything ain't just going to, um, you know, fall in your lap, let's say. Right. Like, but even, and I don't know who the GM for the Rams is, but, you know, they went all in. It's like, okay, we know we need this guy. We need this guy. We, let's just go get it. You know what I mean? Give up some draft picks. Give up whatever. Right. Do something unconventional. You know what I mean? Don't try to follow somebody else just because they doing this and doing that. If you have to know yourself. You got to know your team. You got to know what your team needs and how they thrived and how we had success. And then fill them pieces in and then you're going to be good. You yeah. know, but but if you don't know who you are as a team and, and what you did to get there, then then the, you the problem. You know what I'm saying? As the GM or the coaches or whomever. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I feel like. And you you have to know. And I feel I feel like Bill Belichick knows. He knows. And he'll tell you this all the time. He said it in the locker room. He's going to do what he feels is best for the team. Like, and and he knows, right? And sometimes it may be um, things that people may look at like, I can't, but why would he do that? You know, he just feel like that's what's best for the team. You know what I mean? And, and But he has a proven track record that, you know, I mean, he knows what's best for the team. But all his decisions ain't golden. You know what I mean? He makes mistakes too. Sure. But I feel like he knows who he is and what type of team he wants. And once you're comfortable with that as a GM or coach or whomever, like, you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, last I mean, last the Rams, thing. The, 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 oh, the Rams haven't had a first-round pick for how many years now? 2016. And, and they're constantly, constantly in the playoffs? Constantly and, in the playoffs. And, and, they know what – Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I was going to say, and let's call it like it is, Lee. Phil fucked it up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Phil fucked it up, okay? So uh, we're going to get to one last thing. We're going to get to one last thing, but I, I had a, we had a great comment from our friend uh, Low Boomer in the comments here, and he wants to know if you send Mark Sanchez a Christmas card every year for that three interception one touchdown game. Listen, let me, <clears throat> let me tell you a funny story, man. Funny story. <laughs> After that year, the Super Bowl was in Miami. We were at the, the Fountain Blue. And so we, <laughs> I, we were hanging out. And then um, I, bought, I bought him three drinks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one three drinks. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's the least I can do, man. <laughs> I was like, it's the least oh I can God. do for you, man, because you, you gave me three picks. You know, I can give you three drinks. <laughs> yeah. You know, for helping me out, you know, padding my stats, man. But nah, but he was a, a real, you know, genuine dude. And um, uh, it was really just fun and games. And it's good to see people out and, you know, have no remorse. It's just, I mean, it, it was a game. It happened. 
Um, but it was cool to just hang out with him and see him and uh, just have some laughs about it. And because a lot of times, man, to be honest, you know, a lot of people take the games, you know, a little too hard. We we the players. I mean, we do. We want to win, but it's like, again, it's you got to have a short term memory. It's like, okay, it's it's done with. We got to go into the next week. Uh, so you don't kind of even with the wins, you hear people talk about, okay, we're going to enjoy this one right now, but then we got to get to the next week. Um, same thing with a loss, you know what I mean? But in, in bad play, you know, because nobody's perfect. Again, I've seen Tom have games where it wasn't that great, you know what I'm saying? But it's how you bounce back. So just to have, you know, that interaction with uh, – That was um, awesome. Sanchez was was dope, man. And, yeah. and so, yeah, so I rewarded him, you know, for rewarding me with some, you know, some <laughs> – I think that's fair. So at least you can do. Yeah, we're down for (laughs) drinks. That's good. Uh, Lee, last thing I wanted to ask you about, just to give you a chance to kind of talk about it for a minute. Uh, You were, when you were with the Browns, you were number 28, Lee Bodden. Now you are Lee Bodden for the people, uh, .com officially, I think. Uh, So Lee, you are uh, uh, down in Prince George County, which is right in the DC area. Uh, You're getting involved in public service. You're running for office down there for the uh, county executive position. So, you know, you've been on a football for about 10 years now. Has this been something that you've been interested in that whole time? Has this felt like a calling for you? And uh, and just kind of what got you into to trying to to become the county executive down there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in D.C. and then moved to Prince George's County when I was 10. Um, so a lot of the things as far as education, as far as police um, and the criminal justice system uh, and high taxes has been going on for far too long. Um, and, and I live in, uh, it's like a majority African-American community. And it's one of the richest counties, black counties in the country. And if you went to a high, uh, elementary school where million dollar homes are, you wouldn't even believe it. You wouldn't believe that, you know what I mean? Um, you're in a, a area like that if you went in that school. And so, I try to do my part in ways here in the county as far as giving scholarships to kids uh, through my foundation, uh, giving money to even my alma mater to help their like program. Uh, and and I, I gave scholarships to kids from different schools. Um, I built a gym, a low cost gym for them to have a great facility to, you know, health as well to me. That's important. Um, and I, what else did I do? I uh, coached um, the high school level, obviously as volunteer, and I went to go coach at a, you know, a lower performing school. You know, what I mean, yeah. I could have went to schools that you know had great players and this and that, but I want to be able to help not only them on the football field, but as human beings, because it's like those are the people that are forgotten and feel like you know in society it's not going to be nothing. So I wanted to you know, go down and help them. And Byron Westbrook actually was the head coach um, of that school. And he asked me to be the defensive coordinator. So I said, yes. Um, and, you know, I've done camps and all these things um, that I've done. I've done mental health awareness, a kickball game, you know, yeah. for the, you know, raise money, all these things. And, you know, I feel like I'm not putting a dent in nothing, you know what I mean, with the things I'm doing. And so, um, I just felt like, and, and to be honest, I, I got arrested and people don't want me to share the story, but I got arrested, you know, and, and it's through this pandemic and stuff, but you know, not many people know the law and the law, you don't necessarily, you don't have to wear a mask, you know, and you, you have medical exemptions and I have medical exemptions 
Um, but people don't want to go by that law and that mandate. And so I've been arrested for that. And I, and I've been treated like a second class citizen. Like I, it was just, and, and I don't even want to say that, but I, I got treated like an animal. And then I saw people in there getting treated like an animal and, and I didn't go in there mad or anything, but you go in there and you, you feel angry. And so it's like, now how do I, ch- I'm sitting in there, like, how do I change this? You know what I'm saying? The school system, uh, the criminal justice system, you know, and then how, again, cause I, I wanted to do a lot for the community and I had been, but it's like, it's not making a dent. And so I was like, man, I gotta just run for county executive. Um, because those, that's the person that calls the shots that handles, you know, laws and handles the, uh, the funds that come into the county and, and where to disperse it. And it doesn't look like the money is going in the right places. You know what I'm saying? Even though they, they spend all the money on education, it's like, where did it go? What are you doing for real? And that's what, that's been a lot of people's around here. The question, those two big things is where's the money going in education? Because we don't see it. And, you know, what are we doing with the criminal justice system while we treating our, our citizens like this? And, and so that's what, you know, prompted me to do it. And to be honest, it was, it was election year, you know, and, and I didn't even know that when I was thinking about this right. in the jail, you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't. And so, but I came out like, all right, man, I'm going to see when election year is. Cause I'm a, I'm a run. And it was, it was actually, you well, should get ready. You should get ready. Yeah. yeah it, it, it actually <laughs> happened in September and what well, this past September and elections was, uh, you know, June is in June 28th, you know, like my number. So I, and I was like, man, you know what? It's probably destined for me to just, you know, go ahead and, and do it and, and try it. And, and whether I win or lose, I, I don't know. I'm going to try my best to win obviously, but it, this just goes to show people, and anybody, like, if you want to do something, just go ahead and do it. You know what I mean? And because when you have something in your heart and in your mind, um, don't let anybody deter you. Because a lot of, I talked to some delegates, they was like, Lee, you're not going to win. You know, because the person who is sitting on a seat is running again. But, and they don't believe that the people are going to vote for me because they don't believe in the people, to be honest. This is straight up. I'm having conversations with these people and they don't believe that the people are going to come out and vote. And they don't believe that somebody like me can win, but that's, that's the problem. And somebody like me needs to be on these, um, in these rooms to fight for people that have these gripes all the time, because the people never seem to get what they want. You know what I mean? And that's what a public servant is. That's what you elect the people for. You know what I mean? You elect those executives and delegates to be your voice. And then they go in there and be completely the opposite, not your voice. So, yep. I feel like, um, you know, I want to be the voice of the people because I know what the people want. And I I go around asking the people what they want. And it's the same thing I want. You know, and that's why I'm running. And a lot of people are receptive because they like, man, you know, like if it was them, like they would want to run, you know. So it's like that's why they'll vote for me, because everything that I'm talking about or they're talking about, they know that's what's wrong. And they need somebody in there that's going to fight for that. Exactly. So that's the reason why I did it. I love it. I love it. Words of motivation from Lee Bodden. That's how we're going to, that's how we're going to let this one wrap up. Lee, for real, best of luck. We're, I'm going to be watching. Not that I <laughs> live in the DC area. I'll be, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be watching in June. Best of luck as you get through that whole thing. Uh, it was really awesome talking to you. Thank you for sharing some memories, bringing back some very fun things from the Browns days of old. And, uh, 
again, best of luck with the election. We look forward to catching up with you. All right. I appreciate it, man. Um, go Browns, man. I love the Browns. And I love you guys for having me, man. I appreciate it. it. This was dope. You know what I mean? To have, you know, this conversation again, I ain't had no beer, but, um, you know, I had some a little bit of tea and <laughs> you let's, finished yours. <laughs> dude, but next again, time let's have garage teas. Let's, let's next tea. time let's have garage yeah. teas. Yeah. Tea with Lee. I love it. <laughs> tea with Lee, man. And listen, and, uh, we got to rise as one, man. And we all, you know, together. And I feel like the people, you know, that's why I love, you know, um, getting on podcasts like this, man. Um, because, you know, there are a lot of great podcasts out there. And just because you're not Joe Rogan or, you know what I mean, uh, whomever, <laughs> You know, these podcasts, like, it's some dope podcasts out here, and I appreciate y'all having me. That's why I like to go on um, podcasts like this because, um, you know, it helps you guys, it helps me, you know, and and it just shows and gets you a different audience, me a different audience, but it shows um, the talent that's out there, you know, in the world. And so I appreciate you guys. Well, we appreciate you, Lee. Again, best of luck. Go Browns, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you down the line. All right, man. Appreciate it. All right, and thanks again to Lee Bodden. If you want to follow him on Twitter, at Lee Bodden. Uh, that's an easy one. Uh, you can go follow him and keep keep track of what he's got going on because obviously big things going on in his life as he's running for uh, uh, for county commissioner down there or county executive. Uh, but, uh, boys, that was, that was a blast catching up with Lee, uh, hearing some of those stories. Uh, yeah, we're getting comments here uh, from Ty Sox. You can see my dog <laughs> in the background. He is sacked out, as he usually is. You could probably hear him snoring. Um, Wait. He what? must have got all his humping out of the way. Before okay. he got all stairs. right. All right. No, what? I'm it just was saying. Austin when I saw him come behind your back because I was like, oh, no, he's about to pull a toy out of me. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, no. I, I took – now I've learned my lesson that when we do the podcast, hump toy goes away. So, boys, there's one other Browns thing I want to talk about. We'll do our three cheers of the week, and we'll get out of here. Why the fuck does Johnny Manziel keep showing up? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So this gets me so worked up. It gets me so worked up. And we've we've talked about this before. I'm a a Texas A&M graduate. I'm a Texas A&M Aggie. I love Johnny Manziel when he was with A&M. I I went and watched him play at the Cotton Bowl where they smoked Oklahoma. Uh, If it weren't for one stupid loss that year, they probably would have been playing for a national championship. The guy was special. And when the Browns drafted him, I was ecstatic because I still to this day will argue with anybody that he had the actual talent to be an NFL quarterback. I'll argue with anybody on that. But what what he didn't have was brains at all. He had zero brains. Zero brains, and and the minute the minute they named him the starting quarterback, and he decided to take a trip to Vegas instead of like you know prepare to be the starting quarterback, I was like, oh shit, this guy nope. really is a dipshit. So here he is, and now he now he's on Twitter picking Cleveland fights, picking fights with for uh, picking Cleveland fights because he knows who he is can. this guy because this- he knows he can. It's a stereotype. It's a situation where it's just like, um, you know, you need six people for a team and you're the seventh person. Like, oh, well, you know, screw you guys. I never wanted to be on that team anyways. And you're all just a bunch of freaking losers and I hate you all. He made a comment. He made a comment to some random person on Twitter. And I don't know what that person was. He made a comment. You wish you had my life. 
And I want to clarify. <laughs> I want to clarify. I want to clarify what life. And, and then he posted a picture of himself holding the Heisman, and he said, "This is all I need." And my only response to that, Johnny Manziel, is good because that's all you've got. <laughs> yeah. That's all you've got is that your name, Johnny Manziel, is synonymous with failure. Your name, Johnny Manziel, is synonymous with fuck up. That's who you are. You are a failure. You are you. The picture of you holding the Heisman is only outshined by the picture of you laying face down in the Bills end zone when somebody slapped you in the face and you couldn't get up. You're, when you said, whoever that was, when he said, you wish you had my life? Bitch, please. I got a beautiful <laughs> wife upstairs. I got two kids. I work. I got a dog home. that humps in the back of my got, podcast. I'm the best of them. Humpy senior. I work my <laughs> ass off. I got my ass off. Work my ass off to provide a good life. I live in a, a good place in Cleveland. Uh, he could only dream of having my life. I got family and friends, and I got this beautiful podcast. He could only dream of having a life like this. And he's on Twitter talking to some everyday Joe who probably has a very similar life to mine, saying, you wish you had my life. He's a failure. He, he's a failure, and he keeps <laughs> popping up. And I think it drives me crazy because I spent so much time defending him. And now, and 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 now to see what he has become, uh what a disaster! Yeah, what, what a he's an awful person. He picks fights because he knows he can, because he knows that anybody out there, anybody out there, whether it's Johnny Manziel, whether it's Colin Coward, whether it's I, I don't know, whether whoever, all you got to do is say Cleveland sucks, and the wrath of Cleveland is going to come down on you. He's gonna. He's 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 all he all he is doing is trolling. It's just bait, and people take it hook, line, and sinker. And I get I'm it in. because you're so I'm because <laughs> because you're so loyal to Cleveland. I get it. Like there's no fucking there's no other fucking reason for him to say that other than he feels like trolling. That's it. I mean, I don't even know who ca- who cares. Johnny Manziel has been irrelevant to Cleveland since I don't know. <laughs> 10 years ago when he last did coke on a goose or whatever the fuck he was doing. So it, 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 it doesn't matter. Johnny Manziel doesn't matter, but people love to get on his case uh, because he trolls you. He just trolls Cleveland. That's all he's doing. He's not is even there, serious. He's not is even there serious. another player in like any other, not even sport necessarily, just like industry that is this like chaotic and this, like oh. the first one that came to mind was Kanye for me, but at least he is successful <laughs> with his money. Like he is a incredibly wealthy person and incredibly successful in his own right, even though he's nuts. Who yeah. else is like Johnny Manziel, who is just no. like not successful, but is like a huge, like just asshole. I don't know. What? Yeah. We all, we Kanye, all Kanye's an under control psycho. Johnny yeah. Manziel is not. Kanye's an under control psycho. We all have a Johnny Manziel in our life, don't we? I can I can think of I can think of somebody right off the top of my head. We all have the guy, whether it's at work or just like in your friend group, maybe, or just an podcast. acquaintance on a podcast. Somebody who is just so confident and you can't figure out why. <laughs> it's usually somebody at work, right? It's usually somebody at work that has like all this confidence in the world. And you're like, what are you so confident about? Because this is unearned. This is unearned confidence that Johnny Menzel has unearned confidence. And the only other thing I'll say before we get to our three cheers of the week, which will be much more happy. Debatable. 
Sorry. we've got now now we've got a couple guys. Uh, th- there was a moment with uh, in the in the Nets Cavs game a couple weeks back where Kyrie Irving was getting taunted by a fan, and he turned to the fan and said, "Where's the gratitude? I won you a championship. Where's the gratitude?" Blah blah blah. My question is, like, you've got Johnny Manziel trashing Cleveland. You got Kyrie Irving has been trashing Cleveland since he left, and I think they should hang his number in the rafters for what he did for Cleveland. And so, don't get me wrong. But he's been trashing the minute he left. The, his first quote when he went to Boston was, "It's nice to finally be in a real sports city." Up yeah. your ass! And he's right. had bad shit to say about Cleveland ever since Kyrie Irving has. My question is, they want to know where our gratitude is. Where the hell is yours to the city and team that made you a number of a, a first round draft pick for to this to the city that said to Johnny Menzel when all those other teams had passed on him, you know what? We'll take a shot on you to the. Kyrie Irving was obviously going to be a number one pick, but he's also, he played 13 games in college. Like it, it was, there was a little risk to be had there. Well, and gonna, he, just where's the gratitude there? Where's your reciprocated gratitude? I'm going to tell you something right now. Fuck Kyrie Irving. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't care about the shot. I don't care about uh, whatever, but like, but, but anybody who's listened to our shows in the past knows I worked down there. And from the moment Kyrie Irving stepped in, he was uh, into that building. He was a genuine prick. He was a, <laughs> wow. he was, he, he was, he was a genuine prick. I do not care about Kyrie Irving. I do not care about the shot. I, I, I do not care about uh, what, like whatever, anything that Kyrie has to say, like, like, thanks for the ring. I don't care to ever see you again. You are you you were nothing but a genuine prick from the moment you stepped into the building. So I I yeah, I, I it doesn't surprise me that Kyrie is 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 being a bitch about you know I don't know, fans not being grateful. I I don't care. Kyrie Irving is a genuine prick. That's all I have to say about him. We're gonna leave it at that, and maybe next week we'll find some people that have shown a little gratitude to this place. To this yeah. beautiful city that we call home. Uh, Lee Bodden. Lee Bodden loved Cleveland. Lee Bodden loved, loved him. Love that from Lee Bodden. Uh, but we're going to get into our last segment, and then we're going to get out of here. Our last segment, as always, are our three cheers of the week, where we finish the show with something positive. And so I'll lead us off. My cheer uh, of the week this week goes to the Colts owner, Jim Ursay. Uh, he, he tweeted, I think earlier today, and I think his contest is almost over. So if you're if you're a Bengals fan, go check out Jim Irsay's Twitter. But he tweeted, even though he's the Colts owner, that he is going to pay for two Bengals fans to go to the Super Bowl, and he's going to send them like all expense paid. Wow! Uh, if you're a Bengals fan, he's paying for you to go to the Super Bowl. And I just thought, listen, we've been through this a million times now. Twitter's up in a war over can Browns fans root for the Bengals. Can Browns fans root for Odell Beckham? I don't understand why you have to root for anybody because if it's not the Browns, I'm not rooting for anybody. I don't care who wins. Uh, But uh, it's a cool story. The Cincinnati Bengals go from the worst team in the league two years ago. Whether you hate them or whatever because they're in the division, their story is cool. Worst team in the league two years ago to the Super Bowl this year. And Jim Irsay, even though he has no affiliation with that team, said, hey, I'm going to send two Bengals fans to the Super Bowl, all expense paid. My cheer goes to him. I think that's really cool. Wow, that's sweet. Yeah, yeah that's super cool. How do you guys uh, feel about that? I about oh, go ahead. rooting for the Bengals. I guess we can get into that a little more the next week. But 
I don't. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. care. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, don't I don't care. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's weird. Totally I think it's weird. You think it's weird to, to root for the Bengals? I think it's weird to root for the Bengals. I also think it's. I don't know. I can, why can't I care? I care. No, I'm not. You. Can, I'm just saying, like, you cannot root for the Bengals, and that's fine. And somebody else can root for the Bengals, and that's fine. Who the hell cares? Yeah. You know why? You know why? You know why I say that, Joe? Why? Because our team isn't playing. That's true. Because it doesn't. Ma- so it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. Our team isn't playing. All right. All right. That's all I got. I don't got anything else. I'll right, do my Joe, cheer next. What's your cheer? <laughs> uh, everyone just close their eyes, and we're just going to do a little manifesting here. The okay. MLB and the MLBPA are coming to an agreement. The MLB oh, and the MLBPA okay. are coming to an agreement. I okay. think they're close, and spring training will only be minorly delayed. That's my cheer. I'm just okay, manifesting well, some some happiness in the MLB world. A little nervous. We are like in February. We're kind of infringing on spring training, which in turn can potentially infringe on the start of the season. So we're just sending your good vibes to the MLB. Hopefully they can figure their uh, shit out and pay their players. Cheers hey, listen, manifesting. Cheers. Positive, manifesting. positive, positive vibes because positive the minute, vibes. the minute, the minute the Major League Baseball and the MLBPA come to an agreement, we have a killer Guardians guest uh, that is just lined up, ready for this thing to be done. So anytime would be great. Any, anytime now. Anytime you guys want to figure that out. Hey, but I MLB, love your manifestation. And MLBPA? MLB and MLBPA? Huh? Figure it out, yeah. huh? Do your, do your like, spirit fingers they do in like, free throws and basketball That's games. Right. Figure, figure it out. Chad, what about you? <laughs> Boys, my cheers goes to the one and only Johnny Manziel. No. Thank you. (laughs) Way to go, buddy. To keep yourself relevant. The moment you feel like that people have forgot about you, you decide to say something about Cleveland, and you just get all over Twitter again. You start trending. You start trolling. This is supposed to be positive. It's it is. Way to go, Johnny. Cheers to you for knowing how to keep yourself relevant. Can you imagine if you put that to good use for like a good cause or you you. Know, something like helpful to contribute to society? <laughs> he wouldn't though. He oh, wouldn't no. though. I no. mean, you know, you know why he has he has the 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 unearned confidence, Mike. He was a, he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's yeah. taken care of no matter yeah. what he he's taken care of no matter what he does in life. But way to go! As it's uh, knowing how to keep yourself relevant, Johnny. When you start to feel that you're fading into oblivion. Right, go. Really, really cool. I'm glad. I'm glad you threw that out as a cheer. That makes me. We're supposed to end it on a positive note, but I guess we're ending it on Johnny Manziel. Hey, listen. <laughs> on a positive note, the last thing we'll say, just for programming updates, we're not going to release a name yet, but we will release one soon. Uh, uh, the Olympics are starting. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and we have got some Olympic legends lined up as guests. So again. You guys know this. If you followed along, I know we're on the OBR now, and they, God love them. They have said, we trust you to have guests from any sport, uh, whatever, on your show. We just, uh, we just want you to be a part of this, and, and, and we wanted to be a part of it. And so we have got some Olympic icons, Olympic legends, uh, people that you are definitely going to want to come here and check out uh, coming up scheduled for the next couple of weeks. So yeah. uh, 
You are not going to want to miss that. But uh, I think that's going to do it for us. We're running right up onto our 1030 mark here. So, again, we'll just throw out our thank yous. Our first thank you to our guest, Lee Bodden. Again, go follow Lee at Lee Bodden uh, on Twitter. Excuse me. Uh, but Lee was a great time reminiscing on some of those old Browns teams. Uh, love talking to Lee. And, of course, uh, thank you goes out to the OBR for hosting us. It's been a blast to be a part of them, uh, and we look forward to doing way more big things with the OBR. And our last thank you goes out to you, the listener, and to those of you that joined us on our live stream and took part. You will never understand how much we appreciate the fact that you spend your time uh, either listening to us or taking part on these live streams. So that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, go follow the show at the Garage Beers on all social media. Uh, but for Joey down there in Nashville, Tennessee at Garage Beers, Joe for Chad over on the east side of Cleveland at Garage Beers, Chad. I am Michael Keefe at Garage Beers. Mike saying until next week, this has been episode 102. Cheers, everybody. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.